Well, that's why we're here is because we believe that Jesus Christ is the hope for the world. Well, at least I, that's why I'm here. I hope that's why you're here too. In fact, if that's why you're here, like just raise your hand in the room today. Like you're here today because we believe that Christ is the hope for the world. That's the message that we preach here, we talk about here, that we celebrate in, that everything that we do here centers around that common theme, that Jesus is the hope for the world. Because if Jesus were not the hope for the world, there would be no point whatsoever. There'd be no reason for us to be here this morning. There'd be no reason for us to be part of a church. There'd be no reason for us to like have this idea of like being connected as the body of Christ. There'd be no point. But Jesus is the hope. And Jesus is the answer. And because we trust and believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and was buried and rose again three days later, today we can stand in freedom and we can celebrate because we know that today Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and this is really cool, and He's praying for us. And I don't know about you, but I need prayer. Anybody here need prayer? He is praying for us. And man, what a blessing that really is. And it's perfect to talk about that song leading right into what we're going to be talking about today. In fact, the last couple of songs, Let There Be Peace, again, perfect song for what we're going to be talking about today. So I want you, if you've not already done so, turning your Bibles, 1 John chapter 3, we're going to be in the second half of that chapter today. We're going to be starting in verse 11. You know, last week we uh, covered those first 10 verses of 1 John chapter 3, and we, we talked about like all of the things that we need to recognize and understand about uh, what God, through His uh, apostle, through His, his uh, servant John, who wrote to us uh, in these letters, again, understanding that He wrote these letters to the church, all of us. He wrote them so that we would know how to live and what to do and how to walk and how to serve and how to, to be all that God intended for us to be. And today what he talks about is the importance of us knowing how to love, of how to make sure that we recognize and understand the power of love. And no, I'm not talking about a Huey Lewis song. I'm talking about the love that comes and flows through the promise and the hope that God gives to us. So let's go to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to begin reading with verse 11. It says this, For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother, and why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brothers or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us, talking about Christ, of course. And we should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before Him. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and He knows all things. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from Him because we keep His commands and do what is pleasing in His sight. Now, this is His command that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He commanded us. 
The one who keeps His commands remains in Him, and He in Him. And the way we know that He remains in us from the Spirit is from the Spirit that He has given to us. Now, chapter 3 of 1 John, um, 1 John is, is a challenging chapter. We talked a little bit about that last week. We're going to talk a little bit more about that again this week. There are some things, some concepts, some ideas that are given in this passage that, that are a little difficult to kind of grasp. In fact, you actually have to do a little bit of digging into exactly what it is that, that John is writing, what he's talking about, some of the language that I just read to you a moment ago. Like, like what does that even mean? Like, uh, the one statement that he said a moment ago that, you know, a murderer cannot go to heaven. That's, you know, kind of the idea that we can walk away from this. It says that a, that a murderer is not in him and does not have eternal life. Now, that's not saying that someone who has murdered someone cannot spend eternity in heaven, because the Bible very clearly tells us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and it tells us that if we believe that Jesus died and that He rose again, that anyone, anyone who calls on His name will be saved. So it's not saying that. You just have to kind of dig a little bit to figure out, like, what is He talking about? Another statement that we'll get to in just a few moments where He talked about how that if your heart condemns you, like, that's a good thing, but then right afterwards says, oh, but if your heart doesn't condemn you, well, that's a good thing. It's like, wait a minute, John, what are you talking about? We're going to talk about that in just a few moments. So it's a difficult passage, a difficult chapter, but ultimately when you kind of put it all together, you take all the little puzzle pieces and, and you put them all like in the right place and you get the right little corners connected to the right little corners, eventually what you end up is a beautiful picture. And that beautiful picture that we end up with with 1 John chapter 3 is the idea that love really does matter, that love makes a difference, and it actually is what we should all long for and seek and do everything that we possibly can in our journey to accomplish that kind of love, to have that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 kind of love, the kind of love that God wants us to have, that we love others and that we're showing that kind of love to the world. And so, when we dig, dig into this passage, like, again, just some thoughts that we'll kind of walk through here, these, these verses that we just read, and kind of like get a picture of like, what is John talking about? And the first idea that he gives to us right out of the gate in verse 11 and following is that love is not a choice. Like, love is not an option. It's not something like that you can determine, well, you know, I think today I'm going to love, but tomorrow, yeah, not so much. It's not the idea that you can choose, like, well, I'm going to love this group of people, but like this group of people, I've been picking on this group of people a lot. I'm gonna, I'm, we can love these people, but, but we don't really have to love these people. We'll switch it around, make you guys feel a little bit better today, right? Uh, you, know, you cannot choose who you love. And it's an important thing because Jesus didn't choose who He loved. He loved all of us, right? But God so loved the what? the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Love is not a choice. And that's what Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 22 when He said to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, you do not have a choice. It is a command of God to love. Look what it says in verse 11. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Now, that harkens back to what we talked about a few weeks ago from 1 John chapter 2, verse 7, when John wrote these words, say, I'm not giving you a new command, I'm giving you an old command. That old command goes all the way back to the beginning of God's Word, all the way back in the book of Genesis. So, in other words, John's saying, like, this is not a new idea. 
You know, I'm not sitting here in about 85 or 90 A.D., you know, the last apostle who's alive, and I, you know, I came up with this new epiphany, this incredible idea, like this amazing, you know what, maybe we ought to love one another. He's saying, no, 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 this is not new. This is something you've heard a thousand times. You heard it going back into the Old Testament under the law. You've heard it when Jesus was here, when he spoke these words that we're to love, that we're to love. He showed love. He proved love. He gave love. And here we are now, 60 years later, and guess what, John says? Hey, you don't have an option. You've got to love. And that's what verse 11 says. This is the message that you've heard from the beginning. In other words, you have no excuse, we should love one another. And so we understand in verse 14, he goes on to say, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Now this is one of those verses that are, is a little bit confusing, it's a little bit like disconcerting, because when it says we know that we pass from death to life, in other words, we know that we've gone from our former self, like, because you know like in your former self, like there was no hope, right? You know that in the former self before Christ, there's nothing to look forward to. That if you die without Christ, you're going to spend eternity, it's separated from God, you're going to spend eternity in a very real place called hell. And by the way, this is a great place to interject into this moment, hell is a real place. There are pastors out there, there are churches out there, there are denominations out there that will, you know, sugarcoat the idea of hell. You cannot sugarcoat the idea of hell. Hell is a real place. It's a real place of eternal condemnation. It's, a, it's an eternal place where you will spend an eternity in pain and suffering and sorrow, and God's Word clearly talks about hell. It is real. And it is real, but God gave His Son Jesus so that you do not have to experience hell. And it is an important thing that we recognize that because hell is real, because it is a place that people will spend a real eternity, that it should uh, strengthen us, it should push us, guide us to make sure that we recognize that we ourselves have experienced that gift of salvation that comes to Christ, but also that we're doing everything that we possibly can to tell others about Jesus. Because there are so many people, our friends, our family members, our neighbors, our co-workers, people that you run into every single day that do not have the hope, the promise of eternal life in heaven because they're still living in the former self. And so this passage says, that was just a little side note, but it's an important side note, heaven is real, hell is real, and that's why we need to understand the power of the gospel. But he says, we know that we pass from death to life, and how do we know that? It's because we love our brothers and sisters. Now, clearly, I want you to make sure you understand this. Loving your brothers and your sisters, loving other people does not save you. We live in a world today where people say, well, if all we need is love, right? That could be a song too, right? Who wrote that one, Sammy? Yeah, there we go. The Beatles, all you need is love. Baloney, that's not all you need. You need the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died and that he was buried and that he rose again. That is what gives us the hope and the promise of, a, of, of eternity in heaven. The gospel is what does that. But... But the natural response to the gospel, the natural response to salvation is that then we will love. 
And so we understand that, no, the Beatles did not have it right. All you need is love. All you need is Christ, which then will drive you to love. And so that is the picture of how we know that we've gone from death to life is that we love. It's a symbol of, it's a marker of, it's a picture of that when you are a person who shows the love of Christ to the world, it is a picture of the fact of what God has already done in you through his son, Jesus Christ. And so he says, like, hey, that's a marker of. That's how you'll know that you've gone from death to life is if you love. But listen to the second part of the verse. The one who does not love remains in death. Now, this one is where it gets a little tricky. Because what that says is that if you are not a person who loves your brother and sister, and understand when you put in the words brother and sister again, now remember, John is writing this to the church, and so he is specifically talking about brother and sister in Christ, okay? So we look around this room, and probably, I hope, I pray, that everyone in this room, that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ, okay? So he says that we're to love. That's a marker of how we know that we're a Christian, is that we love our brothers and sisters. But the one who does not love remains in death. Now, what that means is this. It does not mean that if you don't really like someone in this room, that you must be a sinner who has not been saved, and you're going to spend eternity in hell. Okay, it does not mean that. Now, some of you are saying, yes, <laughs> I don't have to like them. This is great. What it does say is this. It does say that you better have genuine, God-filled, God-ordained, God-picture of love. You need to have that kind of love for every person who's sitting in this room. Like every person, like you need to have that kind of love. And we're going to get a little bit further down here in a few moments to talk about like what the response to that, what the reaction to that love, what that looks like. But it says like you don't have the option. Love is not a choice. You have to love your brothers and sisters. Now, Jesus also took it one step further and he said also you got to love your enemies. Now, I'm so glad he did. Because if, if Jesus did not say you have to love your enemies in the same way that we have to love our brothers and sisters, then here's what would happen. We would become an arrogant, conceited, self-focused, self-absorbed people in this church. If all that we had to do was love our brothers and sisters, the people we go to church with, the people we hang out with, like, like man, that's easy, right? That'd be great. That'd be awesome if that's all we had to do. Like, I, you know, I look out here every Sunday and I see you guys and we worship together. I know where you all sit and, and I kind of have the opportunity of kind of like connecting even if I don't talk to you. Like, I, I just feel good when I see you and because I know like, like we're brothers and sisters. Like, we, we love one another. We're here. And that, that, that's easy for us to love that group of people. But man, aren't you glad that Jesus kind of took it one step further and said, oh yeah, by the way, the people that are outside, the people who are not in this room, the people who are not in another church at all, the people who might be like, you know, complaining about you and criticizing you and making fun of you and laughing, like, hey, you got to love them too. I'm so glad he said that because otherwise we would be a bunch that we would, like, I wouldn't even want to hang around with us because we would be self-absorbed. It'd all be about us. Like we're the special little group. And remember, who did John write this letter to, uh, to fight against? That special little group within the church that thought they were better than everybody else, right? Remember, we talked about them. They're right here, right? This group a couple of weeks ago, if you were here. If you weren't here, I'm not talking about these people, okay? You're saying like, he's not very nice to those people down there. You're, you're a bad guy. No, I'm not, like just a reference, like, like the idea that there was a small group of people in that church that like, like thought they were better than everybody else. 
if Jesus didn't throw in that little side note of loving our enemies, then we would all be like this little group. That we would all think we're better than everybody else, and this would not be a fun place to hang out. But he made it clear, like, hey, we have to love, we have to show. And the fact that we do love, it's a, an example of, it's a picture of, it's a response to the fact that we're Christian, which means this. Now, this is, don't miss this, right? So if you are a person who doesn't have genuine love for others, you have to ask yourself some really deep, serious questions about your faith. Because if you don't love, then you have to ask yourself the question of what John throws out here in the last part of verse 14. The one who does not love remains in death. So let's take that one step further. What does that mean, remain in death? Remember, when we move from death to life, that means we come from our former self to a new creation, that because of Christ that we've been saved, that we have the hope and the promise and the eternity of heaven to look forward to. But if we're not there and we remain over in our former self, if we remain in the death part, then what do we have to look forward to? Well, the answer would be nothing, but it actually, that's the easy way out. It actually, we, has, we have what to look forward to is eternity in that real place called hell. Okay, and so John said it, the one who does not love remains in death. Man, I don't want that to be the story of any person in this room. I want every single one of us to recognize and understand and just to see it as a marker of our own faith. Like, yeah, we, man, we truly know what it means to love other people. You showed that. You proved that last week when this church stood up and said, you know what? We're going to minister to young girls and, and young boys out there who are going through this time, this unplanned pregnancy situation where like they're scared to death and don't know where to turn and don't know where to go. Man, we're going to show them that we love them and we showed them by giving. Like that is just like one very small incremental step. There's lots of other ways that we should and that we do show love. But man, we've got to do it. Why? Because love is not a choice. Love is not an option, it's required. Now, John goes on to write in this passage in 1 John chapter 3, the idea that, that love is not a choice, it's not an option. But then he tells us, oh, by the way, in jealousy, uh, the, the jealousy that we face, that's an enemy to love. Like, if you're a person who's like always worried about what other people get or what other people are doing or the blessings that other people are experiencing, like jealousy is the enemy to love. Like if you're a person who is only you know, worried about yourself and like wants yourself to be elevated and other people to be put down, that that's not what love is. Look what it says in verse 12 and 13. Unlike Cain, who was of the evil one, which by the way, if you, you know, kind of see that, what that tells us is that Cain, right? So Adam and Eve's son, Cain, in case you don't know much about the story, Adam and Eve's son was Cain. And Cain ended up killing Abel. And so John is talking about Cain, that first son that came through Scripture. Unlike Cain, who was of the evil one, in other words, he was not someone who understood this idea of faith and, and love, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Here's why. Because his deeds, Cain's deeds were evil, and his brother Abel, his deeds were righteous. So what does that tell you? Right up front, like what was that picture? It's a picture of jealousy, right? He was jealous because Abel did the right thing, and so therefore because Abel did the right thing and he was doing the wrong thing, then his solution was not for him to do the right thing. His solution was to take down the person who was doing the right thing. Now, that story is told a thousand times over in our journeys and our lives. 
Like we're constantly worried about what other people do and we want to make sure that we are celebrated and we are elevated. And in order for ourselves to be celebrated and elevated, then we have to put other people down. And jealousy is not a, a, a statement that can coexist with the idea of love. And so he makes it very clear, like, like jealousy can't happen. So look what it says in the next verse, verse 13. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. So in other words, if you're doing the right thing, like don't be shocked if the world hates you. We talked about that last week in verse 1 of 1 John chapter 3. The world doesn't accept you. They don't like you. And here's why. Because they didn't accept Christ and they didn't know Him. And because they didn't know Him and because they don't accept Him, they're not going to accept you. And the natural response in our hearts ought to be, so stinking what? Like, I would much rather be a follower of Jesus Christ who is living out the Christian life and living out the Christian experience and be hated by the world than to be accepted by the world and rejecting Christ. Because again, this earth is not all that we have to, forward to, uh, have to look forward to. And man, I'm so glad about that. Because as we see the world that it is today, we see the conflict that's in the world today and the division and the anger and the hatred and the argument. Like, aren't you glad this is not all that there is? Like that there's something way beyond this? Yes, of course we are. And so it says, do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Because the world is going to hate you too, if you're truly following Christ, if you're truly doing what you're supposed to be doing. Look what it says in verse 15. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Here's one of those complicated verses again. Like, what does that mean? Does that mean people who are sitting in prison today, sitting on death row today because they murdered and they've had a, a you know, a jailhouse, con, you know, conversion, they've come to Christ? Like, does that mean they can't go to heaven? No, that doesn't mean that. What it really is talking about here, what the picture is here, is the, the spirit of murder, the idea of murder. In other words, the hatred that drives murder. And by the way, murder is driven by hatred. And so when you have that idea, like that I do not love, remember love is a mark of our salvation. And so if there is no love, then that means there's hatred. And if there's hatred, then we have the murderous spirit. And if that's what you have, then you have no markers of your salvation. And so probably, most likely, John says, then that's a person who does not experience the gift and the promise and the hope of heaven. Don't be like that. You cannot be a person who's always worried about putting other people down to elevate yourself and still be a person who's looking forward to the hope and the promise and, and the, the excitement, the joy of heaven. Now, does that mean that you could actually be a person who does like have those moments where you hate someone, those moments where you, you know, put other people down? Of course, we're going to mess up, which again drives us all the way back to Rewind, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if you do confess your sins, and He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, because we all go through those moments where, like, we're not really happy with someone. Like, I mean, you get that, right? Driving down the road, somebody cuts you off and makes you, you know, run off the road, or maybe you slam on the brakes and you spill your Diet Coke. Listen, there are very few things worse than that, okay? <laughs> At least in my book. And I mean, there are moments like where you quickly go into that season of like, I'd like to take him out back, you know, you know. I, we get that. That happens because we're human, right? Remember, talked about it last week because we're still wearing that, that humanness in our lives and we still have to battle what's on the outside. Now, of course that's going to happen, but man, when it does, man, get it right before God and move on. 
Like, don't let that fester. Don't let that continue because if it stays in you, it will destroy you. That's what hatred and jealousy does. Okay? So jealousy is not an option. Jealousy uh, is the enemy to love. But then he goes on to tell us this. And so not only do we need to love, but that love needs to actually do something. So in other words, the love needs to be connected to action. Look what it says in verse 17 and 18. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. I think you ought to underline that in your Bible. Like whatever you have, you know, whether you've got a phone, the highlight, or whether you've got an iPad, or whether you've got an actual, you know, book in front of you, you ought to highlight, underline, circle that verse, verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. And here's why. Because the church then and the church now is full of individuals who speak the language of love, but do not put, put any action with it. They say, oh, yes, we love the world just because God loves the world. And, oh, man, we want to reach the world. And yet we do not do anything to further that cause of people who are hurting, who are desperate. And we sit back and think, oh, man, we love them. Man, we hope they get better. We hope things get turned around for you. And then we don't do anything to make a difference. In this room, the potential that is in this room to make a difference in our own community and even beyond is immeasurable. We proved that last week. I'm going to tell you something. Last week when we received a special offering to minister to, again, people that we might never even meet on this earth, to bless them and to encourage them during difficult times, and the fact that we, you know, gave $135,000, $140,000 literally like on a whim. Like when you walked in the room, you didn't know that was what you were going to do, but you did it. Like, that should show you the potential that is in this room to make a difference, to put our love not just in word, but our love in action, to actually do something with it. I love what Warren Wiersbe says about this verse. He says this, to love in word means simply to talk about a need, but to love in deed means to do something about meeting it. You may think that because you have discussed a need or even this is key, even prayed about it, that you have done your duty, but love involves more than words. It calls for sacrificial deeds. Can anybody think of like an example of that truth? So let me give you a quick illustration. So it's 33 AD, and Jesus, this guy, has been walking around the earth for, you know, about 33 years now, and he's been, like, doing some really cool stuff, and he's been ministering to people and encouraging people and giving people, like, great lessons and great ideas and, and great examples. Oh, and by the way, there were some people who were sick, and he walked over, and, and he touched them, and they were healed. That's awesome, right? And there were a couple people, even, who were dead, and he brought them back to life. That's pretty amazing, right? Like, really cool stuff. And he came, and here's why he came, because he had a hope for each and every one of us that we would have the opportunity of spending eternity with him in a place called heaven, which, by the way, he had already been to, and it's a pretty cool place. Like, it's an awesome place to hang out. He's like, man, I want you to be there with me. And then it comes to the moment, like that, that, that devastating moment when the only way that that door could be open was for Jesus to come to the place where he would die on a cross for you and me, that he would be nailed to a tree to pay for our sins. 
And Jesus in that moment, when he had the opportunity, opportunity to make a difference, had the opportunity to open that door, here's what Jesus did when the soldiers came. He said, you know, don't really want to do that, but let's right now, let's just get down on our knees and let's pray for this guy, because I want this guy to spend eternity in heaven with me. So I'm going to pray for him, and, and I'm a, I, mean, I hope you make it. I hope it's a great place. It's really cool. Uh, and I'm going to pray for him, and he prays for him, and then Jesus gets up, walks back, and goes on to heaven. And guess what happens to, to Scott here? What happens to him is this, is he spends eternity in hell. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. If, if we don't actually do something with our faith, talking about it doesn't make a difference. Love indeed, not indeed like I-N-D-E-E-D together. Love indeed, I-N space, D-E-E-D, in other words, work, doing something, making something happen. That is where love makes a difference. We have to put it into action. We have to make sure that when we talk about, hey, man, I love you. I love people. I love this church. I love the people of our community. Oh, and by the way, there are people in our community who are dying and going to hell. Well, I'll pray for them, but, you know, that's about all I'm going to do. Guess what happens? You might have a good prayer life, but you're not making an impact and a difference the way that Jesus has called you to make an impact and a difference. Jesus said, go. Did you never notice that Jesus didn't say pray? He didn't say, oh, by the way, pray for the lost and then let someone else do the work. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And hey, give, me, give you guys a quick, he was not talking about me. He wasn't talking about pastors like he was, like, like in addition to, like me plus you. Like, no matter what you do, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Why? Because that's your job, Jesus tell, told us. And so we got to make sure that we are putting our love into action. Why? Because John writes it here in the last part of this verse, because we must recognize that love truly can only come through and from Christ. It's the only place it can come from. It can't come from a government program, <laughs> that's for sure. It can't come from anything that, that you know, a, an author writes in a book that, you know, come up with some great idea of how to love. No, no, no. Love comes from the author of love, the author of love, the giver of love, the, the example of love, and that's Christ. So look what John writes, verses 23 and 24. Now, this is his command. Whose command is this? This, this is his command. Whose command is this? All right, so this is coming directly from God that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He commanded us. Verse 24, the one who keeps His commands remains in Him, and He in Him, and the way we know that He remains in us is from the Spirit that He has given to us. Now, we're going to get into that next week in chapter 4, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God that God has sent along as the Comforter to come alongside of us to help us day in and day out. And that's how we know that we're walking with Him is because of the work of the Spirit does. We'll talk about that next week. But look what it says, verse 24, the one who keeps His commands remains in Him. So when you come all the way down to kind of a summary of what really this entire chapter is all about, it's all about this, like live in purity, love one another, and obedience. And isn't that kind of a cool picture of like what our lives, our faith journey should really be all about? Like wanting to be holy, wanting to be like Him because He's holy, of making sure that we're loving others and making sure that we're obeying. 
And to be quite honest with you, that's a simple three-step process to the successful Christian life. Holiness, love, and obedience. If we can put that into practice, then, man, we're going to experience the fullness of all that God has for us here. You're guaranteed the fullness of what God has there. What's next? Awesome. But, man, I sure want to enjoy the Christian life now, not just sit back and hate everything that's going on around me, looking forward to the one day when I'll escape this place and spend eternity in heaven. I'd like to kind of enjoy it now, wouldn't you? And that's how we get there. Let me give you this quick quote, and then we'll close. David Wells, Walsh states this, The true Christian experience is revealed not just in our beliefs, but in our behavior. The true Christian experience is not just revealed in our beliefs. It's revealed in our behavior. Our behavior doesn't save us. But boy, it sure is a symptom of, it's a response to, it's a, you know, it's a, a consequence of our belief. Our behavior changes everything and gives us the joy that we so desperately need. That's what God intends for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the way that you, through your word, give us what we need, and we do need this. Today, we all need this, because God, we struggle. We do. There are times that we wonder if, right, really, we can truly be the example of love that you've called us to be, because we know that in order to be that, we have to love people, and people sometimes are tough. So God, I just pray that you would help each and every one of us to have the heart and mind of Christ, that we're willing to love, willing to serve, willing to give, willing to do whatever it takes, God, to be that example of remaining in you so that you will remain in us. Lord, that giving us that incredible joy of what it means to follow Christ. And right now, Father, I know that there are people in this room watching right now that maybe have never come to that place where they've accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. They've never truly believed that Jesus is God's son, that he died and that he rose again, that he's the only way to heaven, the only hope that we have. God, I pray that right now in this moment, that the decision that will be made in their hearts and in their minds will be this. I have decided to follow Jesus. I believe that he is who he said he is, that he's done what he said that he has done, and that he is the only way to you. God, I pray that that's the decision that will be made. In Jesus' name I pray. With their heads bowed and with their eyes closed. Our team is gathering here. We do every week. And as they do, as you're sitting here today, maybe that decision is one you need to make. Like, do you know that Christ is Lord of your life? Remember, coming from death to life. You don't come from death to life by actions. You come from death to life by believing that Jesus is the Son of God and that He died, that He rose again for you. And if you've not done that, in a moment we're going to sing and I'm going to invite you to make your way to the altar. Our team is here. We'd love to talk with you about that. Maybe you want to come and kneel here and just kind of get some things right with God. Man, we always need to do that. I mean, there are moments in our Christian journey where, man, we get things a little bit askew, a little bit messed up, and we just need to have that moment, like that come to Jesus moment where it's like, I'm sorry, I want to change it, help me to do it now. We've all had those moments. By the way, if you're a Christian and have not had those moments, I question your faith. Because I can tell you, I've had those moments a lot. And I hope maybe today, maybe there's some people who need to make that decision. Maybe someone will come to join our church, come for baptism, well, whatever it is, let's stand and let's sing together this morning and let's make that decision today. I will do what Christ has called me to do. Lead us.
Father, today we thank you that we can depend on you, that we can lean on you. God, that you give us what we need to make it day by day in a time and in a world that is tough. God, help us to be the kind of people who love, the kind of people who, as a response to our faith, God, that we're doing what you've called us to do. Lord, that we're recognizing that holiness and love and obedience are the markers that you want to be present in all of our lives. God, help us to do that. And for that, we'll give you the praise. We'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before you leave, I want to remind you, the altar remains open. We'd love to talk with you. Don't forget tonight, celebrate America. We encourage you to come on out and join with us. Be a part of that. Starts at 5 o'clock. It's going to be a great night, great weather, incredible fireworks. It's going to be a great, great night. God bless you. We'll see you back next week. I want to thank you for joining us today. If you've never come to the place of recognition of being a sinner and needing a Savior, you can do so right now. Believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again to give you eternal life, just ask Him to save you today. If you would like to talk further about that and what God has done in the giving of His Son, Jesus, we'd love to chat with you. I would encourage you to email us at the address listed on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. We would love to connect with you and help you begin this brand new journey with Jesus Christ. If you would like to help contribute to our ministry as we take this message of the gospel around the world, go to the link on the screen today and help us help others with this amazing message of God's love.